The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician who is trained in Britain, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent. I'm retired from medical practice, but I'm still working in healthcare research and development. Now, family caregiving, I see family caregiving as one of the most important supports for healthcare right across the world right now. So, who are family caregivers? They're the people who go on providing care to family members when all the professional caregivers, like I used to be, have gone home. Family caregivers are the people that the healthcare systems of so many countries rely on more and more. And here I'm going to make a confession, if it isn't already obvious. I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our episode today is about the family situation that arises when a loved one chooses home as the place they want to die. What we're going to discuss is how the family caregiver and the family doctor work together. Now, I'm going to introduce our two guests. First, Dr. Sandy Buckman. Sandy is an experienced family physician specializing in home-based end-of-life care. He's a full-time palliative care physician with the Temi Latner Center for Palliative Care in Toronto, Canada. Among his other professional involvements, he's the honorary secretary treasurer on the national executive of the College of Family Physicians of Canada. His experience includes practicing comprehensive family medicine in Mississauga, Ontario for 21 years, where his special interests were palliative care, HIV AIDS, and global health. And his experience also includes volunteering in South America and Africa. The other guest is Don Fenn. Don is editor, publisher, and founder of the Family Caregiver News Magazine. He spent a lifetime in media-related sales and marketing. His experience includes starting or co-launching in Canada media ventures such as People Magazine, Martha Stewart Living, and Home and Garden Television. His experience also includes over 11 years as family caregiver for his parents with Alzheimer's disease and cancer. In his experience as family caregiver, he found a lack of coordination of information and lack of coordination of resources that were available for family caregivers. So he founded the Family Caregiver magazine in March of 2004. So, Sandy and Don, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes, thank you very much, Gordon. Okay. Now, the first question is to Sandy. 
Please, would you describe your medical practice in home-based end-of-life care? What do you do? Well, certainly. Um, so, as you as you mentioned, I'm a full-time uh, palliative care physician, and that basically means that I look after people through the uh, through the latter stages of an illness, which uh, which cannot be cured. So, an illness that uh, ultimately will lead to the person's uh, passing away. So my full-time practice involves visiting people at their homes because um, certainly in Canada, the majority of Canadians um, wish to be at home at the end of life. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily available to all Canadians, and that varies across our country. But um, what we are able to do in Toronto, uh, where I live and work, um, is we've organized a group of, um, a group of physicians who who go out into the community on a daily basis, uh, providing 24-hour-a-day and seven-day-a-week care to patients and their families who choose to remain at home during their, um, their illness. And we will look after them throughout that illness and right through to, uh, to death. And that includes, of course, um, bereavement care um, after the, to the family after the person has passed away. So we have an on-call system where um, all of us, and I guess there's about 15 or 16 of us, um, take turns providing care over a 24-hour period. We have an electronic medical record that means that each physician can access the information for that patient from anywhere uh, at any time. We work hand-in-hand with, the, uh, with nurses, um, social workers. Uh, we have case managers in our area and the families to deliver this uh, comprehensive care, forming what we call a circle of care uh, to support that patient and their family to carry out their wish to remain at home during this uh, critical phase. Right. John, question for you. What were the circumstances in which you were family caregivers for your family members dying at home? Well, in, in fact, uh, uh, I first became a caregiver with, for my mother, who had Alzheimer's and, uh, again, dealt with the, uh, with the disease uh, and the early dementia at home. And then uh, as she was institutionalized uh, uh, for nine years. So um, in, in the event of the Alzheimer's at home, uh, it was rapidly, uh, you know, diagnosed that, uh, that we could not uh, cope uh, and my aging father at the time could not cope uh, with my mother alone, and we had some care in the home uh, uh, at that time, but again, uh, she uh, worsened to a case where we had to, uh, to have her institutionalized. And, uh, and father then uh, became uh, ill about a year later uh, with his cancer and some other ailments, both being in their, uh, their early 80s at this time. And, uh, and again, uh, he rapidly uh, deteriorated within four months after the result of a fall in the bathroom and uh, in the fall of that year and died early the next year. So he was in, uh, in hospital for, for about four months. Uh, and it was in that period and then in the period of the, uh, the nine years dealing with my mother in, in the institution, uh, all of this uh, I was what's known now as a long-distance caregiver and uh, uh, being about two hours away from, uh, uh, from my care recipient. So uh, I had a lot to, to deal with. Thanks. Sandy, you've mentioned already how you organize your home visits and the kind of things you do. Please, could you describe a typical visit that you make? 
Well, uh, um, I've already been out seeing patients most of today, uh, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. This morning I went an 80-year-old man who has um, stomach cancer, and unfortunately, the stomach cancer has spread to uh, within his uh, within his abdomen. Um, I visited at home uh, with his wife, who is his main support. Uh, they live a, they live together in a uh, small uh, bungalow or one-story home. Um, their main support is through their daughter, uh, who's about. 35 years old and uh, has her own family or children, but uh, is is there all the time uh, from a distance to support her parents. Um, so um, my patient today was uh, experiencing increasing uh, abdominal discomfort. Um, I assessed his discomfort and determined it to be from from increasing fluid, or what we call ascites, uh, but it's increasing fluid that develops from the presence of the cancer uh, in the uh, abdomen. So um, what I was able to do with this, um, with this uh, gentleman is once I've assessed it, I was able to discuss with him the options regarding his care. So, for example, um, we were able to uh, initiate uh, certain medications which may help reduce his fluid. Um, in addition, I discussed within the option of a procedure we call paracentesis, which is the withdrawal of fluid from, um, from the abdomen, and we can perform this procedure in the home environment. Um, when I checked out some of his other um, medical problems, he uh, he, he, it appeared to me that um, he was on a blood thinner for an irregular heartbeat that um, sort of made it contraindicated or not appropriate to do such a procedure at home in case uh, that would lead to increased bleeding. Um, so I reviewed with him the pros and cons of staying on this medication um, and, uh, and or and the risks and et cetera, the pros and cons of doing the procedure in the home and I suggested to him some alternatives. When we decided upon the alternative of a certain kind of medication injection, I arranged for nursing to I arranged to order the medication through the pharmacy that will deliver it, and I arranged for nursing to come into the home. We subsequently had further discussions about his general deterioration at this time. We've talked a little bit on a, on a previous visit of what can he expect. We talked about um, what we call end-of-life issues, um, everything relating to if the person wants to remain at home. We call that Plan A or Plan B. What would it be like if uh, or what are our options regarding um, difficulties that the family may encounter in maintaining him at home? Um, I'm just going to interrupt you there mm -hmm. because we are running a little short of time, and I just want sure. to one in with Don, and then we will return to that theme. Don, just say to, to us, please, from your experience, who benefits and how do they benefit when someone dies at home who's supported by the family, the family caregiver, and the family doctor? What do you uh, well, I, I think now, in the way that, uh, that if everyone is effectively communicating, uh, then I think everybody benefits. Um, I think one of the, I was just listening to Dr. Buckman and thinking that, you know, one of the things that happens, uh, and it happens like hitting a wall, is that, uh, you know, a, unlike a, a doctor who has to deal with this every day, a family caregiver uh, is basically just thrown into this situation. And uh, during this time, as a caregiver, you're going to probably find that, that certain things happen to you that, uh, that basically will impact everybody else on the care team, as the doctor said earlier. First of all, time stands still. 
you just don't know where to go and uh, your priorities change if you're in a business or if you're uh, at school or wherever you may be uh, the, the priorities of that day or that week or that future year may change uh, and certainly the life and death takes on new meanings uh, as things at the home uh, are heading in that in a direction that you you know one of those is going to going to be impacted uh, and things you took uh, for granted are changed forever uh, um, there's a lot of hope and a lot of uh, uh, things for the future that change rapidly. Um, and even, you know, uh, I, I found myself wondering sort of what the meaning was of life was all about. As you so, go, so so I'm just on the benefit to... side, as you walk through all those areas, yeah. uh, you personally will benefit as a family caregiver and come out of it better. But going through it is, is really tough. Thank you. Very good. Now, it is time for us to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We'll definitely be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn. Our topic is concerns when a loved one chooses home to die, how the family caregiver and the family doctor work together. So let's talk more about the background of dying at home. Don first, on balance, was the decision about uh, your family in the family circumstances you've just described 
the right one for everyone involved. And what were the things in family caregiving, you called it long-distance family caregiving, that brought you stress and that gave you peace? Well, I, I think there's several things that we, we need to look at. And I guess uh, with Dr. Buckman's background, it's going to be easy for him to, uh, to relate. Um, but it's very difficult for a family caregiver. And that's just when a terminal illness is first diagnosed. So I'll start there to sort of uh, use that as a roadmap to getting to the answer to your question. Um, and, and just coming to terms with the terminal illness is, is, is one thing that you have to do. Um, then you have to, uh, again, remember to, to look after yourself, you know, exercise, diet, all the things that we know we should be doing, but they become even more important as you're confronted with, uh, with this terminal illness, and uh, whether it's in a home or institution, uh, these things should be looked at. Um, look out for your support networks. So where are they? Within your family, within the uh, a hospital community, within the faith community, if you have one, within... Uh, all of those uh, those areas. Uh, I mentioned that uh, certainly with the uh, uh, with the physicians that I was dealing with, both uh, understanding Alzheimer's disease and uh, my mother's condition, and then dealing with cancer and understanding that disease. Uh, the interface I had with the physicians was was great, and it, it, they were uh, in in my case uh, totally effective communicators. Um, and I was very confident as we looked into uh, trying some new uh, medication for my mother uh, and understanding, again, the disease, the physician was, uh, was very supportive. Um, but I also was confronted with then having looked at my dad living alone and other things that I needed to deal with, such as uh, uh, modifying his house for his own personal living. And uh, uh, without mother there, uh, she being the chief cook and bottle washer in their marriage, um, and then I, I had to look at giving him physical care, and, and as he got worse, there was uh, the uh, toileting, uh, the, the, the personal care that, that was given, uh, and how uh, I dealt with some of those physical problems when there wasn't a doctor around. Uh, uh, certainly he was going through some pain and complications and nausea and things I hadn't uh, really dealt with before. And then it gets right down into your question, whereas it, it nears death and his life ends, uh, then what do I deal with with dying at home, uh, the last days of life, the arrangements for the funeral, uh, and just dealing with grief over, overall. And, um, but at that time, I also had to look into understanding what, what hospices were. Uh, really heard about them, but didn't really know how they impacted uh, uh, the community, and, uh, and I learned. So I guess that's, uh, those are the things that led me uh, uh, to my current role as, as the founder of the Family Caregiver News Magazine and thefamilycaregiver.com, because... Uh, all of those have, uh, as I say often in speaking, that uh, you know our, our family caregivers uh, uh, don't know the answers. Uh, boy, they just don't even know the questions. Yeah, good point. Sandy, you mentioned that it's um, the wish of many people to die at home. My question to you is, are we talking chiefly about the elderly, or are we also talking about children and young adults with grievous medical conditions. And then would you please say what the duration typically is of the period over which you provide care for someone is, who is dying at home? But first of all, how, how broad is this um, willingness, this, this feeling that home is the best place to die? 
Well, it's it's very common, and I would say that the majority of um, majority of people, if they have their a choice, and they do prefer to die at home, and we also know that from uh, from many studies. Um, and the age range is broad. I have um, all ages. I have had from uh, from infants and toddlers right up to the very very elderly. Um, I'm 55 years old, and I and I even perceive that perhaps up to 40 to 50 percent of my patients are actually actually younger than I am. So we're not just talking about the uh, elderly. Of course, that being very common, um, we're talking about uh, all ages. And, and might I add, uh, people of all backgrounds. Um, in our particular area in Toronto, you know, is a very multicultural uh, community. There's over 180 languages spoken, and I find that the vast majority of people and, and and they relate to places where they come from, where home is actually the usual and the expected place of death. So um, really uh, quite common. Right. And the duration? Well, I mean, that's variable. That could be from as little as a day, when I've been called in at the last moment, to more typically um, several weeks. But I have looked after patients for as long as three or four years. And you'd say, well, is that truly palliative care? And I'd and I sort of refer to the patient as not so much as, as the patient is palliative, but that the approach is palliative, in that they have a serious illness, a life-threatening illness, um, that requires the kind of um, relief of pain and suffering and symptomatic approach as opposed to directing their care towards cure. Right. Don, you've talked, um, you told us about the way in which you, the family caregiver, and the family doctors, or the doctors, work, work together. Please tell us what went well, and in hindsight, what are the things that could have been done better? Well, I, I, I'm in praise of doctors. Uh, you know, it's uh, and, and, and in our particular case, uh, I would have to say that uh, that there wasn't a lot that went wrong, uh, except uh, the uh, in reflection, probably the amount of time that the doctors had to spend with me uh, was. And again, I, I grew up in a smaller community where uh, uh, where the uh, the doctors knew my father on the golf course. They, so um, so it was a family affair, and uh, and I knew the doctors uh, well uh, as I grew up with them. So um, I really didn't have a, a, a real problem with with the doctors. But if there was anything, it was just unfortunately the amount of time that they had um, to spend with me. Uh, I would have liked more, and I would have had uh, preferred to have a list of questions. Um, for instance, we had a little bit of a problem with uh, with my father in that uh, um, they was in, in the diagnosis of the cancer. They also noticed that there were many other things at 86 years of age that that were probably wrong with him, and that maybe at the end of the day, uh, his heart may just fail, and that may be it before the cancer takes him. So. Um, uh, if we'd explored that a little more, I think uh, I, I, I think they would have said, you know, we'd, we'd really like to maybe do an autopsy on your dad to find out really what did uh, give out first, his heart or the cancer, because we don't really know. And I, I guess years later I, I kind of reflect that I wish I'd, I'd had a more communicating uh, discussion about that. Sandy, I'm asking a general question, but you might want to also respond to the time point that um, Don just made. What, what are the hallmarks of successful teamwork between the family caregiver and the family doctor? 
Well, I would say, first of all, that um, um, palliative care in general and care in the home uh, needs to be interdisciplinary. And I'm comparing that to another term we often hear called multidisciplinary. So a team involves many healthcare providers, of course, as I meant, we're talking about the physician today, but the nurse has a, obviously a key role uh, in the care, um, social worker, pharmacist, um, uh, clergy, uh, occupational therapist, physiotherapist, dietitian, etc. And a multidisciplinary approach is everyone sort of going in and doing their own job. You have a visit from the dietitian or from the occupational therapist, say, doing a safety assessment at the home. But an interdisciplinary team or successful team works together, and that means that that shared, um, shared accountability, shared planning and responsibility uh, for the care of the patient. Now, a critical, critical member of that team uh, that is not the health provider, of course, is the family caregiver. So as I mentioned earlier, they form that, we form the circle of care, and all the planning, the shared uh, responsibility and accountability for the care of the patient, and might I add, the care of that family member. I think Don clearly made a very important point before when he said the family uh, caregiver has to look after themselves so they will be available in a good, good shape to care for the patient. We reinforce this, but they're part of that circle of care, and a successful interdisciplinary team um, is, has the family caregiver as a, as a necessary and essential part of that team. Um, really, we have to make sure that everybody is on the same page with regards to following the patient's and the family's wishes. They are in control and directives of their care. Now, that gives me an opportunity just to break in, and this is two, two quick questions, one to, to, to each, to both of you. Um, living wills and advanced directives, what do you think about those? Don, did you have experience with them? And then I'm going to ask Sandy his perspective. Living will. Uh, I, I did. Uh, my dad was a very organized guy, and uh, with his lawyers, uh, uh, all that was uh, was in hand. Uh, we we did have what I refer to as the family conversation uh, way before his illness, um, and it uh, it got to be in some cases really quite humorous because I again long distance caregiving. I would I would go down and visit and uh, and have a beer before dinner with Dad, and I would say, okay, I think we still have to have the family. We didn't finish everything. So, you know, right down to uh, to songs at his funeral and uh, hymns that he would prefer to play. You know, we did have that conversation, and everything was written down, and, uh, and I'm very, very thankful that it was. And similarly, related to my mother, uh, when she uh, had Alzheimer's, uh, Dad and I and other family members got together to sort of plan her. I'm going to interrupt just to give Sandy a chance on that. What's your view of Living Will's advanced directive? So um, I think Don's family is more atypical. Um, most families do not have these kind of discussions, unfortunately. And it's often um, in the face of a impending term, you know, terminal illness or death that they first begin to talk about it, and it often becomes up to me or, or the nurse on the team to initiate the discussions about um, living wills or advanced directives. In other words, a plan, a plan of action as to how they want things to go uh, for them at the end of the life. What I do find, however, is despite almost detailed explanations, um, when push comes to shove, people often change their minds. So 
These things are not engraved in stone. Um, say, for example, if you discuss resuscitation, whether the person wants resuscitation or not, or say trans- they might want to remain at home and not be transferred to the hospital, sometimes when they're sick enough, they uh, choose to go against the initial advance directive. We have to be respectful that, uh, that these things are fluid and dynamic and may change. So we, it's something that needs to be revisited and uh, reevaluated on a constant basis. Great. Now, we do have to go for the break. It's that time again. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn. Our topic is when a loved one chooses home to die, how the family caregiver and the family doctor work together. So let's talk more about the family doctor and family caregivers. I'm going to ask Sandy... What advice do persons and their family caregivers most commonly ask you for when they're undecided about dying at home? Well, this is, uh, this is every family, and, um, and they usually ask about um, how to handle crises kind of in the off hours. So they're asking, what if my loved one or the person themselves may ask, what if they have severe pain? What if they are experiencing a severe shortness of breath? Whatever health crisis they're having, how do we handle that? They ask about our, um, if, they have, if we have an on-call coverage, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. They often ask, too, the caregivers often ask if... I feel, based on my assessment, if they are really up to the task. They, 
they worry about the challenge. They worry about not only their personal, their if they have the strength to do it, but do they have adequate resources both within the home, uh, within their support community, but can the system support them to stay at home? They also ask often about uh, about the goals of care. What are we trying to achieve? And help them clarify what to do under certain situations. Right. So now I'm asking you um, in your role as publisher, do you get questions from family caregivers about the topics, the kind of topics we're talking about now? And um, just generally, what sort of advice do you give? Well, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about taking care of yourself. But, uh, again, most of the people that we deal with uh, are, are really don't not understanding what respite care is. But respite care is, is, uh, uh, is taking a break from the responsibilities of being a caregiver. Uh, it, it can help you to feel refreshed and better able to cope whether you're physically leaving home or not. But you, you just need to take that break. You need to get away from those challenges that uh, are so new to you, as I said earlier, and uh, and I think that's part of of understanding, and that that can be just as uh, um, you know, have somebody come in and help you in the evening, or uh, um, you know, ask a friend or family friend just to come in and sit with you, or speak to your uh, home care nurse uh, who might be able to organize some outside respite care because they're uh, usually very dependable uh, and, and know what's going on in your community. Um, and you can even uh, commit your, uh, your, your loved one to, uh, uh, to a respite care facility where even hospitals will take a portion in for, for a night uh, or two or three uh, so that you can get some real rest or maybe take a short vacation. So a lot of respite care is really important to just stay on top of, uh, of what you're doing. The, uh, the other areas are, again, I've mentioned effective communication uh, with not only the care team but also um, communicating with your loved one who's sick, uh, listening and just giving them uh, really the gift of presence, um, just holding them their hand, uh, uh, just being there for them I think is, is really important. And there's some even guidelines that we have for, uh, for talking and guidelines for listening. Um, and there, of course, like anything else, there's uh, things to avoid. Now, Sandy, other times that you believe that dying at home may not be the best approach, and other circumstances in which you would recommend against it, and if there are, what are those circumstances? Well, there's, there's a few, um, but specifically, I think if if someone is living alone and they do not have um, a caregiver who is uh, willing and or able to take care of them, then I think this is a circumstance under which it's very difficult for someone to remain at home. Uh, near the end of life, they will need 24/7 care. Um, I also think that certainly certain unsafe environments, um, if we don't ha- are able to access the home on a 24-7 basis, um, that could be safety issues for um, nurses and physicians and other healthcare providers in certain areas that um, may make it unsafe. And if you can't provide adequate care, then that may work against being at home. And I'd have to say that um, there may be certain medical conditions that, for symptomatic purposes, may be best managed in hospital so, uh, or in a hospice setting with um, some uh, therapy that we can't provide necessarily in the home. So uh, I think those are the main, the main circumstances where I would recommend against um, a home death. Okay. Don, I'm going to ask you now about the advice you'd give to a family doctor 
who was approached by a family undecided about dying at home. Um, what's the advice that you would give in light of your own experience and also in light of the kind of questions your readers uh, ask you? Well, again, uh, as, as Dr. Buckman pointed out, most research and studies and our own experience uh, shows us that uh, anywhere between 89% and 99% of people when asked the question do they, where they would want to die, it is in home. So uh, you know, knowing up front that, uh, that the, uh, the care recipient is really anxious uh, to be at home, I think it just really gets back to communicating uh, that to the doctor and to the health team. Uh, everything uh, that we focus on should be, uh, should be making sure that the, the care recipient is, is comfortable in, uh, in dying at home. And I think that uh, there are some steps and areas that should be looked at when you sit down with the family physician to, uh, to talk about that, uh, that health care plan uh, and, it, and try to deal with, for instance, uh, several concerns at one contact, one contact. In other words, write down your questions as you get them so that to, so you don't get in front of the, uh, uh, the physician and, and sort of stumble through Oh, what about this? Oh, what about that? I think uh, really to uh, to to give it the thought that's required, and uh, that saves a lot of time on both uh, the family caregivers' part and on the doctor's part. Sandy, what questions should family caregivers and their family members ask you, the family doctor, about dying at home? Oh, <laughs> there are many. Um, I would say things like. Um, when should you call the doctor? Um, under what circumstances it, it, would they think it's appropriate? Um, what is your coverage like? Uh, how frequently will will you, as a physician, visit the uh, the home? Um, what is the backup plan if you are not available? Um, who is on the team that's caring for uh, my loved one uh, or for us? What are their roles and responsibilities? What equipment might be available that's needed in the home, for example, like a hospital bed or, or bars for the bathroom, for example? What is the role of uh, the patient's other physicians and care providers? Um, what about um, a palliative care unit or a hospice? What's the backup plan? And there are more specific uh, end-of-life issues, such as um, about resuscitation and do we call 911? Um, what about things like, like having IV hydration at the end of life or blood transfusion or stomach tubes? Um, what, are, what are the signs of impending death? What are the signs and symptoms? How will we know that the person is dying? And ultimately, what happens when death occurs? And who do we call? What, what should we do? And, of course, I think, as Don mentioned earlier, discussion has to take place about funeral planning. So, so asking the physician or other members of the care team to assist them with, uh, with that call. How does, how does that kind of thing work? So these are a whole host of questions um, that are, are, are important to ask your providers. Don, it's exactly the same question. What, what questions should family caregivers and their family member ask the family doctor about dying at home? And I'm asking you not only from your own experience, but from what you hear from your readers and what you hear in discussions. <clears throat> well, again, I think we've covered a lot of that, but I do, uh, uh, again, I think it's just the open, uh, honest uh, dialogue that has to happen in, in any effective communications. Um, and I, I, I think more and more, 
that the family care teams that are being uh, more the focus of, uh, of medical practice today uh, really encourage uh, the family caregiver sitting at that table um, to understand the role of everybody else and around the family care team. One of the things I would, I would love to do with Dr. Buckman is to sit in on, on one, of those, uh, uh, one of those family care meetings in order to just uh, maybe help answer that question in the future in a better way. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you both a somewhat more difficult, awkward question, and that is this, that families, and my own is an example, don't always get on very well at these sorts of times, and there are issues of inheritance and things like that that can cause trouble in, in, in families. Um, have you any advice on the question of privacy? That is to say, the family caregiver is really the, very often the messenger between the, the person who's dying and the people who are looking after him or her. Um, are there matters of privacy and confidentiality that you think are particularly troublesome and should be warned against? Sandy first. Well, I mean... If at all possible, when the person is, if they are uh, and they have capacity, able to have um, this discussion, I agree with with Don that the heart of this kind of care is is communication. The relationship, first of all, between the patient and the physician, and of course their family, is key to effective care. And um, so if, there, if it's at all possible, we work um, with the patient, him or herself, um, because they have the, you have a legal and moral obligation to, to do so. And I always emphasize that person himself is the director of the care. Right. If they I'm going to, do... I'm going to interrupt you because I want a quick one on Don, and then we'll maybe okay. return to it. Don, um, what's your view on this privacy issue and the care in, in flowing of information? Well, I think it's, it's very important to, uh, to have your legal affairs in order, uh, both from the care recipient and from the family caregiver. Uh, you need an enduring power of attorney, the guardianship, the trusteeships, and everything having around property. Um, personal directive, if there's a living will, um, there's many of these things. So uh, really they, they come down to, to the legalities uh, more than the privacy. So if you've covered yourself legally with, uh, with all the affairs in order, I, I, I think you have it. Uh, but certainly agree that sibling rivalries uh, uh, certainly show themselves uh, in their most ugly formats uh, and at the end of life. May I just add something, uh, Gordon? Just, just very that, quickly. Uh, that uh, most of the time, uh, well, much of the time, people don't have these things in order. And the uh, family dysfunctional issues uh, come out hugely at this time of stress and uh, one of the roles that we play is really to get all members to try to get everybody on the same page in terms of these things it's a I'm key role breath. and it's one of our um, major challenges and so having done this and it's usually helpful to the person that they that there isn't this kind of uh, stress in the family and will give us permission to share all the information so these issues of confidentiality um, are addressed in this way okay good now it is time for us to take a break this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. If your pets could talk, they'd tell you to tune in to Pet Shop Talk. Join internationally recognized animal massage therapist Lola Jean Michelin every week for a show that covers everything from nutrition, health care, and training for your pet or animal. Lola and her guest experts will bring you the latest trends in the pet care industry. And even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find out why pets do the crazy things they do. Tune in each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, um, Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn. Um, Our topic is when a loved one chooses home to die, how the family caregiver and the family doctor work together. Now, I'm going to ask our two guests to suppose that they as individuals are appointed by government to oversee the development of support for family caregiving for persons who choose to die at home. And I wanted them to talk about the things that they would propose and why. Now, I'm going to start with, the, with this question. I actually looked up the World Health Organization's official definition of palliative care, which is the topic we're largely talking about, and I found no mention whatever of the family caregiver. So I'm going to ask Sandy, first of all, what needs to be done to get recognition in those high places for the role of a family caregiver? So I think we have to... Um um, make an argument based on principle that the family caregiver is an essential member of the team. And, um, and that is often uh, overlooked uh, not only by insurance companies or, um, or governments, but by the health care providers themselves. Um, however, it's interesting to note that in the uh, World Health Organization uh, definition of palliative care, they don't mention uh, any member of the team. There's no mention of the physician or the nurse or the clergy, for example. And so I think um, the team has the team approach has to be better defined. And of course, again, you must uh, include the caregiver as an essential component of that team. So uh, it's very important that uh, none of us can do this alone. Um, we all need each other in order to be able to deliver effective, integrated palliative care. Don, same question getting recognition for family caregivers if you were in charge? 
Yeah, I, I think it, uh, it's important. We have a statistic that we throw out quite often, uh, uh, which is that if we had to pay all the family caregivers in Canada uh, just the normal rate of, uh, uh, of payment, uh, we'd bankrupt the health care system in about a month. So uh, I think it's, it's something that politicians have to recognize the role, uh, and it has to be defined better uh, to the political will, uh, uh, just what uh, and how effective a family caregiver is on that team. We certainly, uh, as, as Dr. Buckman sits around and looks at the people on his team, uh, all paid professionals, don't forget the, uh, in most cases, the, uh, uh, the unpaid person at that table is the family caregiver uh, and who's carrying most of the burden, uh, certainly mentally, uh, uh, on the stress level. So, um, so I think that's number one. Um, there are some other challenges uh, within the political will um, that are being met, but I think there's been a big sea change in just the last five years. And in the last five years, the World Health Organization, I think if we were to ask them, are they redefining that and including the healthcare team, I think they would probably say, yes, we are. We're looking very co closely at that, as are many, many other of the constituencies in the health-providing side. So I think uh, Dr. Buckman's uh, uh, health team, care team, uh, is the wave of the future. It has started. It's turning into a tsunami quicker than we all know it just by, by need. This is a very needs-driven uh, marketplace of, of family caregiving and home care, uh, and we need to stress not just the family caregiving portion of this, but we have to also recognize the home care part of it, which has political money and which has and is recognized as part of the health care, but I think it's 2 to 3% of the budget right here in the, uh, in the in, uh, federally in Canada and probably the same for the province of Ontario where we are. So uh, a lot of things need to happen. Great. Now, first of all, Sandy, what are the other things that you, besides getting recognition that you would like to stress if you were in charge? Well... Um, as I mentioned earlier, when you asked the question about when may when may I not recommend um, um, a home death, and I would have to say that um, if the caregiver is not supported, I, I mentioned a person's alone, or if the caregiver is unable or doesn't have the resources to care for their loved one at home, then home death is is not at all possible. Um, we do know that that people at home at the end of life is way more costly. Than, than hospitalization or, or even palliative care units or hospices. So I have to would say that um, the idea about uh, paying the caregiver to be part of that, to receive the funds that would otherwise go for the care of that person in hospital or going to an emergency room, etc., be redirected. They do this kind of thing in the world, in particular in Ireland, for example. Um, family caregivers are paid to look after their loved one at home, and it's very cost-effective and uh, I think would legitimize and recognize the uh, critical role, the essential role that family caregivers uh, have in, in allowing um, dying at home. Don? Gordon, I, yes, think. I think there, there's a couple of other things I've already mentioned, but I'll, we'll mention them again. And I, one is the respite care. You know, safeguarding the health and well-being of family caregivers uh, by allowing uh, flexibility and availability either in the workplace or, uh, uh, or, or just in general regarding um, ha give, having them the opportunity to just take a break. Um, there, there are five to seven million Canadians doing this daily. 
uh, and that stress and that, uh, that they just need that respite care. I think the government can play a role there. I think there's also, uh, the, to the paid caregiving, uh, we're 100 percent for it, uh, uh, and so minimizing any of the financial burden that, uh, that's placed on family caregivers. Uh, you asked earlier about some of the questions we get from our readers. Uh, most of those have to do with, uh, I just can't cope anymore. I just, I just uh, either financially I'm, go- I'm going under or, uh, or my stress levels are so high. Uh, we need to create flexible workplace environments. Uh, there's uh, one in four in the workplace is caregiving right now. And uh, uh, corporations look at that and say, well, that's really the government's job. So there's an issue there, and we are working with many uh, companies to, uh, uh, to change that. Uh, I think we have to invest much more than we have in the real uh, research in family caregiving and uh, using it to, to uh, make some evidence-informed decision-making. There's a particular category of uh, family caregiver, which um, we've I've done an episode with them, and these are the people we call double-duty family caregivers. They're healthcare professionals, mostly nurses, but not entirely. There are physicians who find themselves um, during the day being professionals and during the night and over the weekend, so to speak, are being family caregivers. And they speak of the stress and strain of that. And they also talk about the way, and sometimes they open this in a negative way, they may be tired when they go to work, which isn't exactly good for their work. Um, Sandy, first, have you any comments or experience about that, what we call double-duty caregiving? Well, yes, certainly. um, I've been there myself, but I know uh, others who have been in that situation. And um, I guess um, it's almost like uh, any task. How can we support caregivers so that they are able to continue to function in a way that's, um, that's healthy for them, healthy for the job they do, in particular if they're looking after uh, others? How do we sustain them? So it comes back down to self-care. We have to, have, uh, we have to train enough people and sufficient resources so that we can share the, the load of caring for um, our patients and their families, um, and we we need to have those kind of uh, we need to have the training, and we need to be able to in, in the remuneration that encourages enough people to go into this uh, this field of work. We have a desperate shortage of uh, physicians and nurses who are willing to do this, and in areas which aren't universally supported, like uh, like Ontario or Canada, it's even a more difficult situation. So um, again, it comes back down the one of the best things that I can do for my patients as an example is being able to take care of myself and uh, I have to be able to depend on my colleagues and my and the other team members in order to uh, to help me out when things get rough for me in my personal life All right. um, Don I'm going to ask you this question there's a lot of talk these days about social networking and I've heard on this uh, in various episodes family caregivers saying that they wish they had more of an opportunity to talk among themselves and to share their experiences so that somebody who's just starting out on the road can be advised or talked to somebody who's well down the road or maybe the road has come to the particular end. What do you think about social networking? Well, it, it's, it's definitely going to happen and is happening, and, uh, and in fact it will be happening right here with us on thefamilycaregiver.com starting in June. Uh, our new website uh, has uh, a huge capacity for forums, 
and uh, and for exactly that kind of interactivity. Uh, it's what they've been asking us for five years in letters to the editor and in our our forums, our seminars, and our uh, our expos. Uh, but again, it comes back to. Uh, uh, how many hours in the day? Uh, caregiving is a 24 by 7 uh, task, and uh, and we just hope that they're going to be able to free up some of their time to get on our website to be able to uh, to start and have that dialogue with other with other family caregivers. But I remember when we started the news magazine, one of the one of the people called from Ottawa that got a copy and when we distributed it with the National Post, and I remember this person calling me up and and uh, and just saying. And she was quite abrupt, and she was, uh, I thought I was going to get uh, the devil for having misspelled something in one of our articles, but she, she actually said, I, I just want to thank you. She said, I can't believe it, because I thought I was alone. And we, we really took that, that comment to heart uh, as, our, as part of our business. Um, you are alone, and we think when you are a caregiver, you think it's all on you. And so the more sharing and the, and the more people recognize it, uh, the easier it just becomes. That, I'm going to have to close us down on that particular point, but it's a very strong point to make. And I've heard it not only from family caregivers, but also from people on the show with particular conditions. The feeling that you're not alone, that there are others with experiences, experiences to share is very powerful. So I want to say thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with your comments and questions, and I'll be very glad to pass them on to Sandy and Don, I want to say a strong thank you to Dr. Sandy Buckman and Don Fenn for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice, and also your obvious commitment and passion for the work you're doing. I'm not going to call it palliative care. I'm, call, I'm going to call it a service to family caregiving because that's what the show's about. But obviously, it's part of, and as you both said, the new world of of um, care and care in the particular situation of someone dying, someone choosing to die at home. Our next episode, we're going to talk about how dog guides work with family caregivers struggling with autism. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Look forward to hearing from you then. Bye. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 